I have a large class of 34 fifth graders this year. Inevitably, problems between students and groups of students are going to happen without my knowing, and sometimes with my knowing. And when these problems get large enough, they need to be addressed. These problems include cutting in line, the ever-changing rules of tag on the playground, sharing food in the cafeteria like Takis, tater tots, and the like. And these things, they happen every year, and I address them every year. And in the past, there has been no lesson. There's been no conversation. I solve the problem, or I ignore the problem. But I've changed the way I do this now. What made me change the way I handle these? Well, I was fortunate enough to participate in the National Writing Project Summer Institute with another fifth grade teacher. Her name was Jess Southsider. And she shared her experience with something she called Community Circle. Now, I had heard of and had read parts, heard of Community Circle and read parts of the Morning Meeting book by Roxanne Crete. And I know Community Circle times are important, but I never really felt like I had the time to give to these warm, fuzzy activities. I needed to cover what was going to be on the state test so my students and I would look smart. So I was fortunate enough, though, to be able to go and spend a morning in Jess's room. And I watched and I even participated in her morning circle time. And after seeing and hearing how she did it, um, I decided that I would give it a try. So I borrowed a few techniques, such as greeting the people on either side of this, each other and using thumbs up and thumbs down and thumbs to the side to share how people, to share how my students were coming to the class. But then I, I made it my own. And our community circle provided a chance for students to share what was on their mind and allowed the rest of the class to participate uh, and use empathy to share with each other. Now, morning meeting and writing arguments seem to be worlds apart, but I found rather by accident that they really aren't. In class, we have been using the C3WP, the Career, College, and Community Writers Program strategies. And as a class, we co-constructed a list of agreements that we want to use when we have a conversation. Uh, this came from one of the lessons, one of the first lessons in the C3WP materials. And uh, my students agreed that we want to listen by looking at each other in the eyes. And we want to listen to the speaker's complete idea without interrupting, without cutting them off. We also agreed to talk loudly enough to be heard and to stay on the current topic, among some other, some other agreements that we had. And now my students hold each other accountable when, they're, when they have their conversations after journal writing each day. But then I discovered that class problems turn into opportunities to practice our argument discussions. And this just recently happened. This just happened last week. I took, I took one of our problems that have been creeping up and I've been watching it happen in our line. Um, as we go to lunch and go to recess, there's a lot of cutting. I've got kids who want to cut to the front of the line to be with their friends. And so I kind of, I called them out one day after we had greeted each other in community circle. And I noticed, I pointed out that there had been some frustration um, in our class. One of the, a few of my kids had come to me with tears, like not liking the fact that they had been cut off and they were angry at their classmates and it was unfair. So we took time to, to talk about it and in our community circle, we decided that there was no desire to really change because we liked being with our friends and we liked being able to be near the front of the line. 
But after giving my students some time to use our conversation agreements, we just, like, it was pointed out that really being next to your friends and that cutting experience was really only gaining you about 10 or 15 minutes of being with your friend. And really, you could get to know somebody new in that time. Walking to recess and walking to specials really only took a few seconds. And while we all understood that eating lunch with a friend, you know, is longer than a few seconds, um, maybe it would be okay to get to know somebody new. You can't always be with your friends and be at the front of the line. So um, after having this conversation, we came up with a solution or two, a couple solutions. Um, we decided that they could wait for their friends by walking slowly or <clears throat> getting a drink on the way out the door. And that way they could let others go in front of them while they waited for their friends. Or they could really just wait in line with different people. These were strategies the kids came up with. They had ownership of them. And I got to monitor them and watch how things went down. And we did, I did check in with them in the next few days. And the kids, you know, they decided that a lot of them said that the system was working and that, you know, they're standing in the back of the line with their friends was worth, you know, not being first. But then I did have some kids say that it was sad when someone near you leaves to go stand in the back of the line with someone they like better. And, you know, that they would really like to get to know each other better. So we still have some kinks to work out, but this opportunity to have a conversation really brought, really made what we do in class really come to life for my students. Welcome to our first TwigCast after summer break, after a school year like no other. Although it is fall of 2021, we find ourselves living with uncertainty and challenges that are still facing our country and our schools. Educators have rolled up their sleeves, literally and metaphorically, to do what we know our students and communities need from us. We teach. Twig our teaching writers inquiry group met on Tuesday, September 7th at 7 p.m. to continue our ongoing inquiry on the importance of building community in our classrooms. Our latest conversation took us deeper by asking educators across the state of Idaho and had several educators from around the state of Idaho, which was so excellent. But we asked the question, how can argument build community? The podcast today begins with some thoughts from a TWIG member, Mary Beth Matthews, who teaches fifth grade in Nampa, Nampa Idaho. Mary Beth, welcome to our podcast. Your story really resonated with me. Thanks, Patty. It's good to be here tonight. Again, I want to reiterate, she has 34 fifth graders. <laughs> The, the woman is a saint. <laughs> um, Maribeth, as you were talking, it seems to me um, that that initial entry point that really kind of was crucial to um, a change in your thinking was that introduction to community circle. Um, yeah. That was impressive is that 
you were introduced to the strategy, you did some reading, but then you went and saw it modeled, but you didn't just try to replicate it or duplicate it exactly the way you saw it. You did some thinking, and it seems to me that you were able to kind of fit your own beliefs into making it a practice that you could make successful in your own classroom. How did you do that? You know, I think that comes with with having taught for as long as I have. You know, I've tried over the years to be the teacher that I'm not. To see, I've I've watched other teachers over and over. I used to teach um, in a building that had a Montessori program, and I so badly wanted my classroom to be Montessori. And I just realized that, you know, I it, it's I can use some of their strategies, but I don't, I didn't have the materials. I didn't have the support to actually do that. So I've discovered that I can be flexible in my thinking and in what I do. And I think, yeah, that has really brought, you know, it has made my room more comfortable for me and it's made it more comfortable for my students because when I am comfortable and I am secure, I think that transmits to them. Most definitely. For those teachers that are still kind of new to our profession and kind of finding their way, um, would you give them any suggestions about, you know, how to be true to themselves? Oh, trial and error. I think you try things and you try, you know, find, I do, I stood, I called myself a doorway teacher for the longest time when I was first teaching. I would go on my prep periods and just stand in the doorways of teachers that I admired, teachers that I watched the way that they talked to their kids and the assignments that I saw coming from their classrooms that were hanging in the hall. And I wondered, I wanted to know how they did that. And, you know, and again, you know, I wanted to be that and I tried to make their, their strategies work, but, you know, I think after trying things, I just, I, I just, watched people and I made it my own because I was in a different grade level or I was in a different subject area and I wanted to do what they did but clearly I couldn't do what they were doing so yeah I just think getting out as much as you can and and taking notice of what other good teachers are doing that's how that's how you get comfortable with who you are well and I think it reminds me that sometimes our profession is a little isolating and especially mm-hmm. right now with COVID and um, COVID protocols, um, it's hard sometimes to get out there and have that social interaction with other teachers or even to silently, um, you know, watch them and, and, and hear what they're doing. So I think that's something maybe needs to be discussed. You know, how do we, how do we go about that in these times? How do we... Yeah. You know, that's kind of one of those things that we need to to look at. I also wanted to address that you mentioned the C3WP resources. I know those are from the um, National Writing Project. And I know if anybody is interested and they want to just Google that C3WP, that there's been a lot of educators who have put these materials together to help in teaching um, argument. Um, But I was wondering... When you first came upon them, what did you what did you find was the most difficult aspect of getting started with these materials? 
I think the most difficult part was the pressure to do it right. Uh, the pressure to, you know, I, I think, you know, anytime you're handed a new curriculum or a new program, you're told, well, at least I've always been told, do it with fidelity, try it the way that they, you know, try it the way it's prescribed first, and then you can deviate. You know, and I think that's somewhat true with the C3WP resources. You know, they, there's a method to what they do. You know, but having gone through this, I think that what this is our third year or fourth year of going through these materials, you know, I've kind of found what works for me and what works for students. Every year I, I look through um, the resources and, you know, it's refreshing to see what's there and they do update those resources. So there's new articles and there's new slides. So, but yeah, um, I think just being familiar with what works is how I choose. Well, and I, I, you know, being around for a long time myself, um, especially when the common core standards first came down, um, down the mountain, mm -hmm. I remember we were all learning about argument and I'm finding that years later, argument still has certain connotations that um, we have to address within our, within, with students, with with our colleagues, have you run into the similar issues um, in your teaching? You know, it's funny. Um, yeah, an argument has always been, you know, I think we associate argument with opinion writing. Mm -hmm. And to a degree, that's true. You know, but I think too, like argument is so much more than just here's my opinion. I, you know, I teach, we teach our students that argument, you have you, you have sources and you have reliable sources and you have sources that are relevant. And, you know, and even to the point where we look at who are the authors, who is writing these sources, you know, so I think argument is so much more than just that opinion writing. Exactly. I, you know, and I teach sixth grade and sixth grade is kind of that, that jumping off point where K through five, you know, they refer to it as opinion writing and then in sixth grade, we really do make that to um, claims and evidence and warrants. Okay. And, reasoning. and um, it's, I am always really surprised how difficult it is for students to make a claim, their own claim. They, they, we realize that we've kind of indoctrinated them a little bit to be pleasers, right? Right. And so I think it's really fun that um, what I heard you say in yours is that you weren't doing like these big controversial topics. What you started with was things that were going on in your classroom. Yeah. Uh, the key things I wanted to ask you about is when they said they wanted to be listened to and they want to be seen. I just thought that was so powerful and you know and I think having taught having been this far you know 24 years in you know what if I would have given so many of my my previous students the opportunity to be heard and to be seen you know I, I think the kids that I have now are so much more they're so much more blessed by you know the experiences that I've had by because they do get to express themselves they do get a chance to really reflect on who they are and I, I wanted to come back to a point you know we talked about you know kids having their opinion and making a claim 
but I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, the power of revision. I think, I think what I really liked about the C3WP um, materials is that they emphasize this thing called a kernel essay where the kids start by making a claim about a topic, you know, they write their original thoughts and opinions and their ideas. And then they are like, it's not just, they have to change them or they're encouraged to change them. Like they just with more research and learning and talking and having conversations and they just naturally do change and they don't even know it until they go back and see what they've written in their original claim statement. By the time it's all finished, they're like, Oh, I grew. Like I changed my thought on my own. Like nobody pressured me into it. I did it because it was the right thing to do. And I'm like, that's what I want to encourage my students to do. That's some true thinking going on. And I noticed that when you were talking about your agreements as well, like the fact that you taught them to discuss all the um, perspectives and the solution. And then you guys reflected, which is, you know, part of the revision process. And then they decided, I mean, you didn't say, and then my class was perfect and everything <laughs> ran just beautifully for the rest of the year and nobody no. knew. But I, I, I really thought it was a really um, powerful thing when you said some of the kids didn't like it. They, and they admitted they felt abandoned when the other kids would wait for their friends rather than them. But that does happen. And I wonder how many of those kids had ever been given the opportunity to really think about how that situation makes them feel. And even some of the other kids hearing that, I wonder, you know, how, how that might have built some empathy within your classroom. Right. Empathy and just, yeah, exactly. Understanding a new perspective. And that was something, it was funny when we were making our, um, when we were co-constructing our ideas about what we wanted from conversations, the second one that popped up was we need to always agree. And by the time, by the time we had gotten to the end, they're like, no, we can't always agree, but we can try to understand the new perspective. And I thought it, it, that was like, that happened over a 20 minute period. And I'm going, if, if grownups could hear, what my 11 year olds just just came up with in our room like how much farther ahead we would be <laughs> as a society as a society yeah well and that brings me um you you've touched on it but how has this um learning experience impacted you as a professional or even in your personal life oh i think i'm much more patient with people i think you know, because I know that they haven't had, you know, I, you know, we explicitly teach, like right now in the last three years, I explicitly teach how to have a conversation, you know, but unless your family taught you, like that's not, yes, we have the speaking and listening um, standards, you know, but they're not the big ones that are assessed. You know, I think what there's some listening comprehension questions on the state test, but other than that, we really don't teach kids how to listen. And yeah, I think I, I just, I approach my world now with a little more grace. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't think there could be anything more powerful than that. I I felt the the same way that I feel like it's changed me as a person, um, as a teacher, but as a colleague and and a friend as well, and a, and a, and a yeah. wife and a mother, and even a dog owner. I'm just saying. <laughs> I <laughs> um. So my last question for you today is. What do you hope for as you're doing this work with students and with argument? What do you hope for? I hope that people like there will be more teachers who give time to the listening and to allow kids to to really to talk things out, to have conversations with their peers and to encourage changing you know, the changing of their, of the minds because, because of the research they've done, because of the materials that the kids have read, you know, I, I hope that these kids can take the skills of conversation, of listening well, of not interrupting, of seeing the perspective of another person, and then being able to you know, proceed through their life and they might not agree and that's okay, but to at least be able to understand and to, you know, just to have practice some empathy for others. I think that's what my hope would be. Oh, well, I'm Patty Wiseman Adams and that's the end of our podcast, but I would like to thank Maribeth Matthews for joining us today. If you are interested in um, anything TWIG, you can go to twig.fun. It's our um, website. We are on social media, which is a miracle to all of us, but we are having a great time. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, podcast, blog, and you don't even have to remember all that because you can just go to twig.fun and all of our things are there. And we do every other Tuesday, Tuesday with Twig from seven to eight. And we try to give teachers a space to have some conversations about what they're thinking about and what they're needing. And um, we have really enjoyed having some of these deeper conversations and it's really been helpful. Thank you, Maribeth, for joining me today. Thanks for chatting, Patty. It's always nice to talk with you. All right. Have a great week and until next time, Twiggers. All right. Oh, I forgot to mention Jody. I would also like to thank my sound man, Jody, who cuts and pastes and does all the wonderful things to make the rest of us sound like we're at least knowing a little bit more than we do. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Jody. One of my favorite parts of teaching is that teaching is an art. Each classroom teacher brings his or herself to the classroom, capturing a love of learning for each group of students and bringing joy and engagement to the process. This uniqueness makes us all different and relatable to different students each year. It also inspires new ways of thinking and learning in the classroom. Just like each of our students brings their own unique perspectives to the classroom, our teachers bring a unique perspective to the staff as a whole. I recently started a new position in a new school across town. 
This year, my position is an intervention specialist in an elementary school. In this position, I will be working with teachers to help plan and implement interventions and track progress of students who might be struggling academically. It is my first time out of the classroom. It has been extremely strange starting the school year without my own group of students. So far this year has been a year of change, growth, and learning for me, and I know this is only the beginning. <laughs> One thing I have been thinking about a lot is the importance of building relationships with the staff in order to become part of the existing community. Not only do I want to get to know the staff personally, but also professionally to understand the perspectives they bring to our profession. In my new position, one of my roles is to lead the staff through data days. This is a time to sit down with each team and collaborate on student data and plan for intervention groups collectively. Our first data day was planned three weeks into the year. To prepare for our first data day, I was very intentional in creating norms and an agenda for our time together. I woke up early that morning and was so excited to work through the agenda with each team. I remember I grabbed a coffee on my way to school and couldn't wait to sit down with the first group. To my surprise, the day did not go as planned. Just like our students, each group of teachers were unique and in a very different place than I had anticipated. I froze momentarily and had to toss my agenda for the day, feeling, feeling out each team as individuals instead. In the end, it was important for me to listen and learn, and learn about them as a team before jumping into a plan for the day. We're about to hold our second data day. It is my hope that I will be more prepared this time when I sit down with each of the team of teachers. I have had the opportunity to get to know more of the staff and have also been able to see them teaching and spending time with students. This time, I'm also sending out a survey to see how I can meet the teacher's needs as I sit down to plan the day and make sure we are successful in moving forward together. My new role has brought many new learning opportunities for me, and I know it will continue to do so. However, just like my students in the past have brought me learning opportunities, the teachers I'm able to spend time with and work with, I know will do the same. Education is not a one-size-fits-all profession, and I have no doubt that by slowing down and meeting each educator where they most need support and directly hearing their perspectives and needs will help me to be able to help our school and students as a whole this year. Welcome to our latest edition of our TWIG podcast. Remember, TWIG stands for Teaching Writers Inquiry Group. Um, we met on September 28th and we talked about how can we develop an understanding of other people's perspectives to build our, a community. Um, today, the story you just heard was from Maddie Johnson. She is the intervention specialist at White Pine Elementary School, which is a K through sixth grade um, school in the Boise School District. Maddie, welcome. Thank you, Patty. It's good to be here. So interesting. When, when I was listening to um, this change, this uh, being out of the classroom 
and how different that is for you. I, um, having known you for a long time, I can't even imagine you not in your fifth grade classroom. How are you feeling? You know, it was really weird. The first, I would say, month, I kept thinking, I'm going to meet my students. I'm going to meet my students. And we just haven't started yet. And um, it was really hard to adjust to almost having an office instead of a classroom and um, just not having that group of kids that you spend hours and hours with every day together. You know, that reminds me while you when you were um, talking about your first experience in the data days and um, how it didn't necessarily go as planned. How is that different than have you ever had lessons when you were teaching um, that didn't go as planned? How is that different now in this position rather than in the classroom? Hmm. Um. You know, I think with kids, I just am not as intimidated to mess up in front of them. Um, whereas with adults, it feels like a lot more pressure to make a mistake. And it, that shouldn't be the case, right? I mean, we should have be able to be vulnerable and make mistakes in front of each other. But I think as adults, we um, kind of strive to not do those things in front of each other. Whereas with my students, I was constantly modeling making mistakes and laughing at my mistakes with them and moving forward. And so um, the comfort level was there with my students that I just don't have yet. And hopefully I will gain um, with adults. Well, I noticed when you were um, talking about it, though, exactly what you've just said is seems to be exactly the same, um, the same thing that you're trying to do now. You know, you you knew that it didn't go well, you kind of acknowledge that you toss the agenda. And, um, and then you started listening to the teachers and getting to know them individually. And then this time, it seems like, you've kind of done a little bit of thinking of them, not just individually, but as a, um, as a team. And it sounded like what I heard you say is that teachers, when they start to work together, kind of develop a team identity. Um, and that sounded like it kind of surprised you. Is that, is that kind of what you noticed? Yeah, I definitely think that. I think there are so many similarities that we see in our classrooms that happen with adults around us as well. And for some reason, there's this disconnect of, for me anyway, that kids are going to be different than adults when they're just younger versions of us, right? Um, And so I think when you're working with people, yeah, you do have to anticipate change and um, that each group is going to be different. And for whatever reason, I just, it didn't hit me that way. <laughs> well, and it reminds me a lot of, um, you know, like even every year, I'm always shocked that each group of kids, when they come together, you know, the the last year teachers could say, oh, this was, you know, the blankest group, add any word in there. And then when we get them there, it's, you know, we switch them all up and they are in a different, um, you know, depending on who's with them, how it changes the dynamic. And also, I think, you know, like 
each group of teachers set up how the culture that they want um, the students to have within that grade, right? That grade level. What I'm thinking, Maddie, is that when you meet with um, your team for the second data days, I feel like you know them better. And it made me realize how much knowing the members of a group is important before that community building can even really start to begin. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's where I really needed to take a step back. I was so excited about the new position. I was excited to look at data and jump right into the work. Um, But I hadn't taken the time to get to know each of the staff members, right? We were three weeks into the school year. I still don't know them to the degree that I will know them, right? And want to know them. Um, But every, every time we take that chance to get to know our kids or get to know someone, then we're always going to have more success when we sit down to work professionally, I believe. So, yeah, I think that that's very important. And I also thought that the addition of a survey prior to having those meetings gives you a little chance to to kind of gather your thoughts as you're looking through those surveys to kind of use that to, to build um, some activities or questions or data points or anything else that you're going to use to be successful. I really hope that your next data day is really successful. Yeah, I hope so too. And I also hope that the teachers kind of feel ownership over it as well, because really it's not just for me, right, that we're doing this. Um, It benefits all of us as a whole school to come together. And so I really hope that the teachers feel that they have control over their own day-to-day and what they need and are really able to get um, that time to, to do this hard work because as teachers, we don't have time to sit down and always really look at things closely because we're just jumping to the next thing one after another. So I hope that they also feel that ownership. Well, and I, it's important to acknowledge the fact that you're starting this new position um, being in, you know, even though the pandemic, the pandemic is still with us, um, the teachers are still feeling the, the, the weight of having, you know, students being gone for sicknesses and quarantines and things like that. And then you have the masks. So a healthy attitude to really kind of, um, to show them grace that, but, but at the same time, you, you're just trying to do the work that's important for them and for students. So, I think it's super awesome. I wish um, every school had someone like you at there to kind of help help us kind of triangulate some of this information and data and and just kind of good teaching practices. Yeah, a built-in thinking partner, right? Right. That <laughs> That's what amazing. I hope I become. Yes, <laughs> that's my goal. So when as we kind of go into that, I'm really wondering about this difference between a classroom with students and how a school has teachers, right? 
and how teachers you even mentioned earlier are a little bit more isolated sometimes within their classroom walls. I mean, we might see other teachers, you know, grabbing coffee or, you know, really quick at lunch or in passing, but we build classroom norms because those students are in the same class, you know, all together. How do you see building a community in a school different than that? Not, not just the school you're in, but, but any school from what you've seen in your experience. Well, I've definitely noticed the difference in my position more than I did as a classroom teacher. I think as a classroom teacher, there are structures and um, strategies that we all collectively talk about, right? And so even if we're in the lunchroom, we can talk together and, you know, there's a strategy that both you and I did and we chat about it and talk about how it went and, you know, let's say it was a Socratic seminar and sharing those results and kind of coming together with it is one thing, but it's so been so interesting to see how a Socratic seminar might look so different in let's say one third grade room to the next third grade room, right? Because as teachers, we really do bring ourselves. And so that just brings a whole nother layer that I think as a community of teachers, we don't get to see from each other. Um, if we got to go in and peek at each other's Socratic seminars, I think we would all learn so much from each other and the different ways that we ran those situations or those strategies. Um, but because we don't get to see that, just like in a classroom, kids would get to see and hear those conversations modeled for them. Um, I think we really miss out on a lot as teachers. I would agree. Like there's people, you know, you hear that they, they're doing wonderful things in their classroom, but you don't really know what or how or why or when. <laughs> and, and sometimes some of those things, those are the most powerful experiences that I've had is being able to watch other people um, do their lessons. But it also has taken some shaping in my own mind to say, okay, I can't, I am not going to duplicate what they're doing. I'm going to watch, admire, um, appreciate, ask questions, and then run it through and see how I feel about that a little bit. And if it's something that I want to tweak and try to do myself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and we were talking in our meeting um, at Twig last week about identity. And you really nailed it that I think we don't seem to appreciate how much a teacher brings their identity into the classroom with them intentionally or non-intentionally, but how it affects the lessons that, um, or even the way you present a lesson, right? Right. So what would you say you're noticing now that you're getting to see lots of different, you know, I mean, it just seems like a really cool vantage point. You don't, you're not evaluating. You're just getting to watch how, how amazing is that? I mean, I feel very lucky being able to do that because I am learning so much more from it. I think it's been such a great experience for me to see, um, 
just how much someone's personality or like you said, identity really plays a key role in their relationships with their students, the way that information is taught or presented. Um, I think also the, just the reactions on students' faces or the dialogue um, that comes after that, that, you know, mini lesson or presentation from a teacher is just so drastically different. And um, I love that each teacher is allowed that identity, right? Because if we were not, I think we wouldn't get the, um, gosh, I don't know, the realness, the emotions from the kids and them being just as passionate about their learning as they become, right? Um, if we were kind of robotic and all had to do the same thing. So it's been really fun to to not only get to know the teachers personally, but be able to walk into their classrooms and see their personalities shining through in their classrooms. That sounds lovely. I think I, I noticed that when I'm um, working with interns um, and teacher student teacher candidates as well, and just getting to see from the beginning of the year to the growth in their students, you know, and, and even as their community, their classroom communities build, um, I think you're going to really notice some really cool things happening. And I can't wait to talk to you about those later on. Um, as we're um, thinking about the things that we've been discussing in TWIG, uh, last week, we had a discussion about creating a culture of argument, and I'm wondering if there's any of those principles that we kind of discussed about how we do that in our individual classrooms that might be things that would help um, school communities when working with teachers. Is there any principles that we could um, flesh out a little bit that that might help us in creating those communities, those professional learning communities. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like we could go through our anchor charts that we created with kids and replicate them with teachers, right? Um, gosh, setting norms as a group, I think is something that's so important. And as adults, we often in meetings, kind of skip over just because we're in a hurry and have to want to get to the meat of the meeting, right? And so I think just setting those norms um, would be a good place to start. I also just think about being within those norms, an active listener. I know I've learned so much more from listening this year than speaking. <laughs> um, and so having that um, be a norm, but also something that we really truly practice as adults each time we come together, I could see being very beneficial. I think you're a hundred percent right in that. And I would love to see um, like we've done with TWIG, I'm really finding the benefit of revising those norms, um, you know, based on how the meeting goes. I mean, I, I still am slammed by the fact that I never thought to revise my norms from the beginning of the year. Like I just thought this is set up. This is something I do at the beginning of the school year. And this is the way it's going to stay. And I think that's even true of staffs. When you have new teachers come in, it changes with every new identity. So doesn't it make sense that we would revise those norms? Yeah. 
Well, and even through day to days, there were a couple of times that different teachers would reference the norms that we had set or that I guess I had set initially. Um, and it was so, I mean, as the teacher in the room, right, kind of at that time, it was um, so nice to go, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful that this person is going back to the norms because I had forgotten about them. And just them reminding me of, oh, I'm so sorry I wasn't present for that moment. Can we back up and, you know, repeat this conversation a little bit was such a refreshing way to to think about the norms as well and really know that having them there was purposeful and guiding us in their, on the right path. If you had um, some advice for teachers that are maybe feeling um, really overwhelmed with the way things are right now with the pandemic and everything else and something that they could just kind of take with them, tuck in their back pocket about how, what would you suggest that to get them through? What are the things they need to remember right now? Oh my goodness. I mean, I would just say ask for help. I think that there are people there that are willing to help and want to help and um, not to be afraid to ask for help. I think it's sometimes it's, you know, it's intimidating to ask for help or you feel like maybe you failed in asking for help. And um, we all need each other right now. I mean, we're closing our doors because of the pandemic and we're a little more isolated. We don't have as close of contact, I think, as we have once had in the building, but everyone's still there and everyone is still so willing to help and make your day brighter. And so I think just asking would be a great place to start. I think that's wonderful. I, 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 with that, I really want to leave with that message of you guys, it's okay for us to ask for help educators. We need <laughs> each other. We expect our children to, and our students to ask us for help all the time. That's we true. need, we need to band together. Please, please take that as our message today. I would also like to thank Jody Braun, who is our sound man and our producer. And he is the one who cuts all of this and makes it sound wonderful. Thank you, Jody. Maddie, it has been a pleasure to visit with you today. I want to remind everybody that um, Tuesday for Tuesdays with Twig, we are going to have our next meeting on October 12th. Um, and we're going to be talking about the question, how can we explore other perspectives to develop our own claims? So we're going to be working through that um, argument writing and really talking about how to make a claim. Um, if you are interested in our group, you can find out more on twig.fun. Remember, we are on social media, on Facebook, we have an Instagram, we have um, a, a blog, and we have this podcast, and you can um, access those all from twig.fun. Maddie, have a wonderful fall. <laughs> you too. I know, it's so Wait. fun. The season's changing, and I it know. is wonderful. It's the, I mean, it's like, okay, we made it through the beginning of the school year. 
And now we're getting into the meat and potatoes where we're trying to really learn about, you know, the people in our buildings, whether they be little people or grown up people. (laughs) And, you know, we're really trying to build those communities in each and every school across our, in our city, in our state, every state, you know, this is what teachers are doing throughout the world. So I think um, this is really relevant for what's happening today. So thank you for meeting with us today and you have a great evening. All right. Have a good one, Patty. Thank you.